Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. Hey, we're in week two of our series, Who's in Charge? Now, if you missed last week, it is really, really important that you go watch or listen to the message. You can go to our website. Um, you can go to the podcast, get it on the podcast. You can go to YouTube, wherever you want to go to listen to it. But it really sets the tone for what we're talking about in this series. And you'll really be missing out if you don't go and, and watch that or listen to that if you haven't done so already. So um, as, as we dive into this today, I want to ask you this question. What would you do? if you knew you could get away with it? What would you do if you knew you wouldn't get caught? I want you to turn to the person next to you and t- no, don't do that. <laughs> we know that if we can't get caught, I think all of us knows what happens to our thinking. And it actually gets a little terrifying because we know that, oh my goodness, that means our hearts are then exposed, right? And that's not always a good thing. Sometimes it is, but it's not always a good thing. But as I said last week, we've done a pretty good job of learning to monitor our behavior. We've learned to monitor what comes out, not necessarily what's inside, but we've learned to monitor what comes out, you know, so we can live, so we can function, so we can have jobs and get married and and have relationships with people and just live in society. We've learned to monitor our behavior but we haven't done so good or we haven't addressed monitoring our hearts. And even worse than that, culture tells us to always follow our hearts. Let me ask you a question. Is it always good to follow your heart? No. I mean, sometimes, sometimes that's okay, but it's not always a good thing to always follow our heart. It depends on what's in there. Jesus said this in Matthew 15, he said, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? And we get that. We understand that picture. You eat something, you digest it, and then it leaves your body. No big deal. We understand that. But Jesus went on in verse 18 and said, but the things that come out, say the word out, out of your what? Out of your mouth, those come from the the heart. And those things are what have the potential to defile you. He goes on and says, for out of your heart can come evil thoughts. And those thoughts eventually end up into a behavior like he goes on and says, murderer and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander. These are the things which can defile you. What comes out of us can defile us because it has the potential to harm others and to hurt others. See, the best way that you and I could be at odds with God is to hurt the people that God loves. That's the best way to be at odds with God. And all of these hurtful actions in those verses and, those, and all of the words, the hurtful words, they always begin with something that's already in us. So every single one of us would do well to heed Solomon's words in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, where he said, above all else, and notice what that word is. What does he say? What's the word? Above all else, what? Guard. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do, everything you say flows from your heart. 
So even though all of us are pretty good at monitoring our behavior, Solomon says and Jesus says it goes beyond our behavior. We want to learn to guard our hearts because what's in here is eventually coming out here. You as parents, you know what it's like when you were a kid. And you know that your parents, that their hearts spilled out on you, right? Actually, your parents' hearts spilled out on every single person, for good or bad. When what's in your heart as a parent eventually spills out onto your kids, the good stuff, but also the bad. And so what we're talking about today is huge. It's a huge deal. And guarding our hearts as Solomon said, involves a couple of uh, things. First of all, guarding our hearts involves cleaning out the toxins that are inside of us, all that junk in us. And it's also trying to keep the toxins from ever coming in. And so those, those ideas, cleaning out and keeping them from coming in, is really what this series is all about. Today, I want to talk about a debilitating toxin that, that just has the potential and sets us up for failure for failure professionally, financially, spiritually, in all aspects of our life, relationally. It's an emotion that I'm sure all of us carry a little bit of in some capacity. Some of us, we might carry a lot of it. What I wanna talk about today, I wanna talk about guilt. Now, what is guilt? Guilt is, we can describe it a lot of ways, but for our conversation today, guilt is the emotion that's associating with acknowledging that we've done something wrong. It's associated with an acknowledging that we've done something wrong. There's all sorts of types of guilt out there. For example, just one type of guilt is false guilt, right? You have guilt over something that you didn't actually do, and you feel guilty about it, even though you didn't even do anything wrong. We're not going to talk about false guilt today. Specifically, we're talking about the guilt today when you are guilty, when you have done something wrong. So you did something wrong. It was something that you did to somebody else or in some capacity, you've hurt them, you've hurt somebody else, you've hurt the, those around you in some capacity. And for some of you, you've hurt somebody and you've rehearsed that in your mind over the years and that guilt has come to define part of who you are. And oftentimes that's not in a good way. There's also guilt that's so awful, so horrific, so bad. It's something that for you, you think is so bad that in order to cope with it, you suppress it. You stuff it. It's too difficult. It's too painful. It's too overwhelming to actually deal with what it is that you did. Every once in a while, what happens? It comes up to the surface. Something triggers it and that happens. But when that does, we all do the same thing we retreat to a narrative that we have created that allows us to, not, to live and to function so that guilt doesn't overwhelm us. And here's the narrative. It goes something like this. We look back on whatever we did and we say, well, you know, and again, we all have different language, but we say something like, well, it wasn't really my fault. Or we say, you know, it wasn't just me. You know, I, I was young or I, I was new in my career. It was my first job. I was inexperienced. I didn't know any better. And then we get into all the if they's. If they had only, if they had only, if this had only, if that had only. We create a narrative 
that allows us to suppress that guilt. But here's the thing, and here's why we're talking about this, because denying it or excusing it or being defined by it, that always throws us off balance. It empowers the guilt in our life. And when guilt throws you and I off balance, it's really in charge of us. That's what the series is about, who's in charge. When guilt throws us off balance, it's in charge of us. It's the boss of us. Let me explain a little bit why and what happens in this process that's going on in us as you're thinking about some of the things that you might have guilt over, you feel guilty about, and you've suppressed them or denied them or made excuses for them. Every time you and I wrong another person, there is a sense in which we took something from them. In other words, guilt creates in us this debt-debtor relationship. We've done something to someone. We, we've wronged them. We've took something from them. We took their childhood. We took their time. We took their money. We took their job. We took their reputation. We took their self-esteem, whatever it may be. And when we take something from someone, whether physical, mental, psychological, spiritual, whatever it may be, when we take something from them, we now owe them. So that's this debt-debtor relationship. We've even created terminology for this. If you go up to someone to, to give an apology, what do you find that you might say? You say, I what you. Starts with an O. I owe you. I owe you an apology. I owe you. I took something from you. Now I need to give that back. I, I need to give that back to you because I took it from you. I can't give back your time. I can't give back your life. I can't give back your self-esteem. I can't give back the time that you, know, that you even took from your children or whatever it may be. But I owe you something. I'm in debt to you. Now, practically speaking, we don't think this way. We don't think in terms of debt, debt or relationship. We experience the guilt not as a debt. That's just language to try to describe it. We experience it as a weight. It's a weight in our lives that throws us off balance. In fact, some of us, because of the unresolved guilt in our life, we're off balance in our parenting. Maybe we overparent. Maybe we underparent. Maybe we're a permissive parent. It throws us off balance in our relationships. Maybe we're too aggressive in relationships or we're too timid in relationships. In fact, your ability and my ability to forgive and even our ability to love can be thrown off balance because of guilt and this whole debt-debtor relationship. We're thrown off balance in our relationships because of the guilt that we have inside. Again, we have terminology for this. If you end up resolving your guilt or going to somebody and getting rid of the guilt, singing apology, whatever the case may be, you might say something like this after you do that. Man, you know, I just feel like a weight is off of me. I just feel like this burden, this weight is finally lifted from me. Now, if we don't resolve our guilt... If we don't connect the dots that we're hoping to, to connect today in a few minutes, guilt will evolve into something really sinister. Guilt will revol uh, re evolve, I should say, evolve into anger. And anger is what always comes out. Anger is what eventually gets out of us. 
And anger is what eventually, that's, that's the manifestation oftentimes of our guilt. And that's the manifestation of, 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 of destroying our relationships. And that's the manifestation of, of we can't figure out what's going on. And most of us don't connect guilt or unresolved guilt to anger. Most of us don't go there. Now, as I try to get off the psychology thing in a moment, what I want to point out to us is practically speaking, and then we're going to dive into the word, we don't face our guilt. We suppress it. We create false narratives in our life. And we do that in our hearts and our brains. We do it for sheer survival so that we can make it through life. Because if we face it, if we come face to face with what we've actually done, we have no other conclusion but to draw the conclusion that, you know what, I stand condemned. I messed up. I screwed up. I destroyed this. I hurt that. I destroyed that. And we don't want to face that reality, the conclusion that the only conclusion is, if we're not going to make excuses, is we stand condemned. We stand condemned because we know we can't undo or unsay what we did or, or said. We can't unleave, right? We can't be unfaithful in that situation. You can't undrink. You can't unoverwork too much. You can't return your, your, your kid's childhood. And the thought and the pain of that is so brutal that we just try to create a narrative so we can move on. But unfortunately, our past stays with us, whether we realize it or not. And it impacts us and it influences us and it affects our health and the health of those around us. But we want to turn the corner today because I have some great news for all of us. You don't need to be defined by your guilt. You do not need to be defined by your guilt. You also don't need to deny your past. You don't need to deny your guilt either. Jesus offers us a third option, and the Apostle Paul described it best. Paul is somebody who had more regrets than everybody in this room combined. Okay, He's a guy who went out and imprisoned and then had Christians killed. And so he lived with and, and could hear the cries of Christian men and women who had been arrested and executed. He lived with and dealt with looking into the faces of the family members of those he had uh, you know, executed and killed. They haunted his dreams. He had so much guilt in his life for what he had done. But rather than the Apostle Paul letting guilt define his life, rather than him making excuses for his past or even denying his past, he found something in Jesus that forever changed who he was and how he interacted with others. And what he found, you and I can find too. And it can change our lives. And it can change the lives of those around us. So with that in mind, let's dive in and see what he discovered. Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8. Go on your phone or, 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 or a physical Bible to the YouVersion Bible app. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to look in verse 1. And it says this. There is now no. Say the word no. There's no condemnation. Paul's going to tell us there's this space. There's a space when we think about our past where it's neither forgotten nor condemning. It can even be faced, even though it can't be erased. 
You no longer have to pretend it didn't happen. You no longer have to to live with a narrative that you come up with just so you can function and live and and get through days and, and make excuses. He says there's no condemnation. And where is this space that he's talking about? He tells us there's no condemnation for those who are, notice what it says, those who are what? Those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are willing to acknowledge and to face the truth about themselves, about who they are, about what they've done, and to lay that all before the feet of Jesus and surrender to Jesus as the Lord of our lives. When we do that and we surrender to Jesus, we stand uncondemned and able to regain our balance. Now, why is this actually true? Let's go through this. It's an incredible passage. Verse two, Paul tells us why this can be true. Because Through Jesus Christ, in other words, through our relationship with Jesus, embracing everything Jesus has done for us, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. Say the word free. Free. He set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, what is the law of sin and death? The law of sin and death is simple. It's when you mess up, when you sin, when you screw up, when you offend, when you hurt, when you do something that is wrong, you are now stuck. That's the law of sin. That when you hurt somebody, you are guilty forever. I'm guilty forever. And there's no way back and there's no way to undo it. Guilt is in charge of us. But Paul says, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from all of that. How? Notice what he says. Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do. Now, we all know we have laws and rules that monitor our behavior and all aspects of our life, right? There's relationship rules. You know, there's rules for for marriage. There's rules for work. There's rules, you know, to to live where we live. There's rules of parenting, rules of finance, rules of the road, whatever it is. And those rules or those laws can really only do one thing. They can point out when you break them. And when you break those rules or you violate them, then you're guilty. And in some cases, you'll be punished when you break or violate the rules or laws. The laws can't restore us. The law can't set us free from the past. You know what the law is? The law is a constant reminder. We're just flat out guilty. We stand condemned. And sure, we're going to come up with some narrative so we, our behavior can continue to function. But the reality is, internally, we're living off balance. But, God, but Paul discovered that something that God did through Jesus that's incredible. It's such incredible news. Notice what he says, for what the law was powerless to do, verse 3, God did. And how did God do it? God did by sending his own son, who wasn't guilty of anything, in the likeness of sinful flesh, which is a crazy thought. Perfect God became human like us. He sent him in, in sinful flesh. God sent Jesus in the form of sinful flesh, the, our flesh, they just seem to be a human, to take upon himself what you and I deserve so that we could be set free. God has sent Jesus, notice what it says, to be a sin offering. In other words, Jesus on the cross took what you and I deserve. A lot of us know that. A lot of us understand that. You know what that means with our conversation today? It means he took upon himself the condemnation of all of our sin. 
Paul was saying, listen, church, Christians, Jesus followers, those, Paul was saying, those of you who are guilty like me, when you step into and you receive what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. There's no condemnation. There's no need to feel guilty. In other words, yes, you did break their heart. Yes, you did actually betray them. Yes, you lied your way out of that. Yes, you were irresponsible with your body. Yes, you did know better, but you did it anyway. God said, that's the reality. Let's own it. God says you're guilty, but you're not condemned. And God says, since I don't condemn you, you don't need to condemn yourself either. Paul finishes this and he says in verse three again, and he said, and so he, God, condemned something. Again, it's not us. He condemned something. God actually condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Now, what does it mean? What does that mean? Don't miss this, church. God chooses to love you and I, to listen to you and I, to relate to you and I as if our guilt never happened. You're guilty because you did it. I'm guilty because I did it, but I'm not condemned. You're not condemned because Jesus took our guilt upon himself. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the question becomes for the remainder of our time, is this really a big deal? I mean, does this really make a difference or is everything I'm doing just a bunch of theological, heady, you know, pastors get excited about what we just talked about, but your eyes have glazed over because you're like, I just feel like I might've been in a college class. You know, is this matter or is that all it is? This is a huge deal for every single one of us. It's a huge deal for you. It's a huge deal for everyone around you. Because the problem is guilt is often in charge of us and that adversely affects our relationships with other people and it affects our relationship with God. So what I wanna do in the next few minutes as we wrap it up, give you a couple implications of the reality of that we are, we are guilty, but we're not condemned. When you step into a relationship with Jesus, here's what happens. First of all, you actually forfeit the right to condemn yourself because you're not yours to condemn. You forfeit the right to condemn yourself. See, we've been doing that, but we forfeit that right. First Corinthians chapter one, verse six says, you're not your own, you're bought by a, with a price. Jesus purchased you. Jesus bought you when he died on the cross for you. He's the boss of us now. He's in charge, not us. And so we have a brand new boss and the new boss says, you are not condemned. So you and I, we tell that voice inside of us that that's, wants to well up. We say, yes, I'm guilty, but I'm not condemned. Yes, I'm guilty, but I've lost my right to condemn myself because I have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not my own. I have lost my right to condemn myself. Man, if you could get that from here to here, that alone will change your life because you hear it, but then you go, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. No, 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 you're missing it. That just means Jesus isn't in charge of you. You're still in charge because Jesus said you lost the right to condemn yourself. That's gone. That's finished. That's over. Yes, you're guilty. In fact, let's just say it together. Say, I am guilty. One, two, three. I am guilty, but not condemned. 
but not condemned. I am guilty. You are guilty. Let's not deny it. Let's not make excuses about it. Let's not ignore it. We are guilty. But praise be to God, we're not condemned. You have lost the right to condemn yourself. Second, your guilt can remind you, and it will from time to time, but it does not define you. It might remind you, but it doesn't define you. You did it, but you are not what you did. God condemned the sin. He didn't condemn you, no matter how bad it is, no matter what it was that you did. Again, whatever you've done, whatever I've done, it doesn't pale in comparison to what Paul did, all right? So, so for you to hold on to that and own that, it, you, it might remind you, but it doesn't define you. So anytime that wants to creep up, anytime your past wants to come up, anytime that, that, that thing that you did that you're guilty of wants to come up, I would suggest to you that that's just a reminder in that moment to look to God in gratitude and praise. Go to Jesus and say, I thank you, Jesus. I, I just thought about it. I haven't thought about it in a while. And rather than me condemning myself right now, I praise you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus, because you saved me from this awful sickness that was sin that was in me. I thank you that... I I'm guilty, but I'm not condemned. And I want to know, do you actually believe it? Because if you believe it, it changes your life. Your guilt, your past, when it comes up, man, that just, that's just now it's a praise time. Now it's service time. Now it's going to church time. Now it's you and Jesus. And you give him praise and you give him honor and you pour out to him because that is, that's the way, by the way, because who's reminding you of your past? Is God? No. Who? The devil. the devil. He's the one. So he's like, hey, I'm going to remind this guy right now of his past. You're like, cool, I'm going to church. Now I don't mean physically. You go to church, whatever that's going to look like for you. Step into a prayer closet, you go to the radio, turn on the praise music, you, whatever you need to do. You want to remind me of this? Cool, I'm going to church. Me and God are going to have some time together. Third, when you understand that you're guilty but not condemned, you forfeit the right to judge and condemn others. Because if you do it, it just makes you a hypocrite. We all have hypocrisy in us. But are we hypocrites? It's those who are condemning others and judging others. See, when we get this right, we, we, we give up our right to, to, to write others off. We forfeit the right to size others up. Now, I want to tell you what something I've observed over the years as a pastor, meeting with many people, talking to many people, and Pastor Ben, maybe you can go to ask him and say, hey, was, is that true? Is that, or is that just Chris's observation? So I don't know about Brother Ben if, you'd, if you've noticed this. But one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that those who are most judgmental are the least aware of their sin. The ones who are so good to point the finger are the least aware of their own sin and that they've been set free and that they were so sinful, that they were so guilty, but God saved them. They, they haven't figured that out yet. In fact, those who are most judgmental or critical of others, it's more likely they have some sin in their life, perhaps even a big sin, that they've created a narrative for. And all that guilt that they've never faced up to, they've just been focusing it elsewhere, which almost always comes out as self-righteous condemnation. You know, COVID season has brought a lot of selfish, righteous, self-righteous condemnation to us as leaders with our decisions through the journey. And I can't help but wonder, man, and I pray for those individuals. And they don't realize, they don't know what, they got issues that's unresolved that they're directing elsewhere. 
Man, when you get this, guilty but forgiven, you are perfectly positioned to love the unlovable and forgive the unforgivable. After all, you freely received and now you get to freely give. All right, last one and then we'll be done. If you understand that you're guilty but not condemned, you're free to make restitution and reconciliation without excuses. I want to tell you a part of what being a Jesus follower is. It's being able to look at someone and say, I know I hurt you. I know I, brought da- I damaged you. But I want to let you know I have faced my guilt. I've asked God to forgive me. God gave me what, what I don't deserve. And I understand that. And so the least that I can do is I can come back to you humbly and give you what you do deserve. I can come to you and I can ask for forgiveness. I can come, that's Christianity, seeking restoration, seeking reconciliation as far as it depends on you, Scripture says, with no expectation for how they may or may not respond. Seeking restoration and reconciliation means we don't try to make excuses or explain our past or justify our past. No, 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 we're guilty. We know it. God hasn't condemned me, and he saved me, and so I'm coming to you. As far as it depends on me, I want to seek restoration and reconciliation. Here's the cool part. You actually go down this path. You actually be willing to humbly go to a person, seek restoration, seek reconciliation. There is a good possibility that God will use that to unlock the pain that's in their life that they've had to create a narrative for just to function because of maybe something you did. And by you going to them, that just might be the very thing that, it, that God uses to help them get healing and to get wholeness. See, God can use you even in your sin and even when you've messed up and you've screwed up and I've screwed up, God can use that and you face that without justification, without excuses. And God will use that when you seek restoration and reconciliation. God can use that to help another. In other words, God never wastes a pain. God never wastes a hurt. And your pain and your hurt, when you come to God and you get right with God and you get this right with God, God can now use you to help another who's been hurt maybe by you or maybe by another around you. So I want to ask you a question. Is it possible that somebody right now is literally waiting for you to make the first move? Now, they may not have been saying it out loud. They may not even been thinking about it. But somebody from your past is living with the shrapnel of what you or I did to them. And they're just waiting for you to reach out. I understand there's fear with that. Sometimes the consequences of confession and going to someone, sometimes that's in our minds worse than the consequences of concealment. But I will tell you this. Eventually, 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 what we conceal will come out. What we conceal will eventually be made known. What we hold on to will eventually just, that that creates a narrative for us of guilt and shame. And we still just kind of run in this cycle. And it's not a good thing. But if we get what we're talking about today, would you be willing? Would you be willing to step up? Stop telling yourself the same old story. Stop making up the same old excuses Would you be willing to get honest and right with God and with others? Because you stand as somebody who's guilty, but not condemned. Stand guilty. You did it. Don't deny it. Don't make excuses. Don't create a false narrative. You did it. Humble yourself. But you're not condemned. 
And I imagine there's somebody here who needs to remember today. Your past might remind you, but it will not define you. It doesn't have to. If you will step in to God and step into a relationship with Jesus and pour your soul into him. So you're ready for this? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to ask everybody right now, before the Lord, to say this phrase in a moment, guilt, you are not in charge of me. You can do that quietly. You don't have to say it, you know, out loud. But guilt, you are not in charge of me. Guilt, you're not in charge of me. Jesus, I ask and I pray, God, for every single person here today. God, we're all guilty. And Jesus, you're the one who allows us to be forgiven because of what you did on the cross. And I thank you for that, God. And God, we're stepping into your saving grace. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, I wanna invite you right now to give your life to Christ. He won't condemn you, he'll save you, he'll forgive you. He'll give you new life. If you wanna know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, pray with me right now. Just say something like this, say, Jesus, I love you and I thank you for loving me. I thank you for forgiving me. As best as I know how, as best as I understand right now, I give my life to you. Come into my life, be my Lord, be my savior. I'm letting go of the guilt, I'm letting go of it. And I'm accepting that I'm no longer condemned in you. Thank you for saving me and freeing me. I worship you, I praise you in your name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.